it, it really brings it home to you how important it is that we are strong in the Lord. Because if we're not strong in the Lord, we 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 can't go through things like this. Now we're not we're not suffering this, but you know we we still need to be stronger than we are as individuals and as a church. Because the the world is not going to get any easier. And I, I know that might sound like, you know, I came here for some good news this morning, but it's not going to get any easier. And, you know, we all thought we were coming to the end of uh, COVID and all the things about that. And then this happens. And one of the things we've discovered is that if Jesus isn't the center of our life, it's very difficult to stand and stay strong in the Lord. I believe, and you, you might not think this, but I believe that the time of nominal Christianity has been found out. And, and we can't afford to be nominal Christians anymore who connect with each other occasionally and come along on a Sunday morning and think that's it done for the week. I don't think that will stand. I think COVID has shown us that will not stand. You know, so many churches have been through what we have been through and, and come back and find out that many haven't stand it, stood. And, you know, the, the, the reason for that is we... We were, we were made uncomfortable by COVID. That wasn't persecution. That was just discomfort. Yeah. You know, we need to be stronger. And the only way we get to be stronger is to be with Jesus and spend time with Jesus and let him show us his heart and share his heart with us. Yeah. That's how you get strong. You get strong not by being strong yourself, but by getting your strength from Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning. I want, well, in a way, it was strange. I was, I was, you know, like spending time with the Holy Spirit this week. And I said, what do you want me to talk about? I, I do that every week. And most of the time he doesn't tell me. And this week he, he did tell me. He said, I want you to talk about what you talked about last week. I want you to do the same message. But slightly different. I don't want you to move off topic. Because the topic is Jesus. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I've joked with Jules about this. She might, have, she, she might have communicated this to you. But maybe we just, you know, we used to preach in series. Well, we now we're in a series. And I don't know how long this series goes on, but maybe till Jesus comes back. And the series is called Jesus. Okay? Because everything is encapsulated in Jesus. Everything is um, focused on him. And that, that's really the, the key point. You know, when, uh, when the, Jesus went to his disciples and, and he asked them this question, didn't he, I talked about last week. The question that we all are going to have to answer, and we're all going to get asked, 
We're going to get asked this when we stand before Jesus. Everybody's got ideas about what's going to happen when we stand before Jesus. And they've all think, well, you know, some people think, well, I'd lived a good life, so I'll be okay. Well, that was never the right answer because none of us have lived a perfect life like Jesus did. So our only way was always to get, have faith in Christ, what he did for us and his righteousness, not our own. But some people think that, that, that there's kind of all sorts of things like, how well did you love will be the question that they ask in heaven. That won't be the question. I know a lot of Christians believe that will be the question. Did you learn to love? But it never is going to be the question. Because honestly, I've found a lot of unbelievers who love a lot more than believers. It's not the question. The question Jesus says, and it's a really question, simple question, is who did you say I am? Not who did you say I was, but who did you say I am? Who did you say Jesus is? Is he Lord? Is he Messiah? Is he God? Is he the worthy one? Is he the lamb who sits on the throne? Has he got your life? Is he that to you? That's the question. Was Jesus that to you? Because we are saved by believing that God raised him from the dead and declaring that he is Lord. Now, that's really important. That's how you get saved. That's how everybody is saved, by faith. By making Jesus Lord of their life and following him by faith. That's how you get saved. There is no other way. You can't reduce it down to, I wanted a nice life, so I invited Jesus in. Or, I went to church. It does, that's not what it's about. It's about who is Jesus to you. And the, and the big lesson that we are learning is that Jesus is everything. It's all about him. It's not a good start, is it? I've got my notes upside down. There's a lot of things that we do around church and around Christianity, and you can see it in, you know, as much as you like on the internet or, or whatever. There's a lot of things we do that look like Jesus. And they look like they could be Jesus. And, and Jesus is in there somewhere. But there is only one Jesus. And like I said last week, you don't want to spend your life climbing a ladder only to get to the top of the ladder and find out you climbed the wrong one. That would be tragic, wouldn't it? You see, we shouldn't have to like dig around to find Jesus in what we're doing. You know, 
a lot of people, you, you, you can see a lot of stuff and listen to a lot of stuff. And, and you know Jesus is kind of in there somewhere because it sounds like Jesus. But we shouldn't have to dig around at that level. It should be clear it's Jesus. When we worship, when we hear a preach, when we minister, Jesus should be what comes through. Not the minister, not the church, not the whatever else, not the program, but Jesus. When you became a Christian, you didn't give your life to a church. You didn't give your life to a program. You didn't give your life for a better relationship or, or anything like that. You gave your life to Jesus. So now it's his. If your walk as a Christian has become about anything else other than Jesus, then it needs a reset. It needs a correction, a course correction. Last week, I just want to pick up those verses I was talking about. Let's go to them. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide means dwelling. It's, it's kind of where you make your home. Jesus is saying, our home is him. That's what he's saying there. Our home is him. That's the place where we live and dwell and stay. We don't move from there. And if we go out, we always come back to that place. And it's Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So let's just recap what I said last week. The reward for fruitfulness, the reward for success in being a Christian is you get pruned. That's what he says. The reward for success is you get pruned. Now, here's the thing. I quite like the success bit. I'm not too keen on the pruning bit. Because it sounds painful. It sounds uncomfortable. I don't know how you prune something and you not feel it and it not be uncomfortable. I mean, like when Ray cuts his garden back, it's savage. <laughs> but what happens is 
come this time of year, new buds, new shoots start appearing and it looks glorious. Our, we've got this old orchard in our garden. Because we don't chop it back, it doesn't have much fruit on now. But if we chopped it back, it would have a lot more fruit. So the reward for fruitfulness, the reward for success in the Christian life is pruning. Pruning, that does verses say, is so you can produce more fruit. It's not to have a go at you. Jesus isn't picking on you. He's making you more fruitful. Who wants to be more fruitful in our Christian life? Well, I do. because that, And we all know that's the right answer, so you all put your hands up. We all know that's the right answer, don't we? We want to be more fruitful. Or we should want to be more fruitful, even if we kind of don't. And Jesus says, well, to get you there, I'm going to have to do some pruning. Here's the problem that we might encounter. Some people are unwilling to be pruned because they don't believe that discomfort can be of God. Some people are unwilling to be pruned because they don't believe that God would ever make them uncomfortable. That's an interesting notion, isn't it? In, if it wasn't so prevalent. Because I think previous generations would have just said, well, that's just wrong. That's rubbish. But there is a, is a way of thinking that says, I just need to be and everything will sort itself out. The problem is we can't just be because we are born again and we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power of God, the life of Jesus in us and he wants out. But we also have an unrenewed bit of us called our flesh and our flesh wants him in. So we need to peel away, strip away some of those layers. That's what pruning is, the stripping away of those layers. I made some food uh, the day before yesterday, and it was it had onions. And onions have all these layers, don't they? And you, you kind of chop them, and they, all the layers fall apart when you cut through it. And, and it makes your eyes sting, and it's uncomfortable. But it's necessary if you want a really good chili. And, it, and it's the same with, with, with our, our faith. That if Jesus is to come out, if that new person he has made you to be is to come out, he wants to strip away the stinky stuff that brings tears to your eyes. So you can get to the, the, the glorious life of Jesus that's in there. Here's, here's the point I'm making. Refusal to let God make you uncomfortable is a dangerous thing. Because it stops the fruit. Refusal to be pruned means no fruit. It's not, and, and you say, well, does it really matter because I'm saved? Yes, it matters. Because if we love Jesus, we want to 
bear fruit for him. You know, it's a really odd thing, isn't it, to think, well, I'm not going to do any of that because it doesn't matter because I'm saved. So I don't want to do anything that's difficult or uncomfortable. And, it, and it's a really odd thing to think like that, isn't it? When you have a saviour who laid his life down for you, who emptied himself of all heaven's glory for you, and yet you're saying, I just want to keep it all to myself and not do much, not be bothered, not be troubled by anything. And that, that's a challenge, isn't it? One of the, the problems I'm told with some of our trees in our garden, we have many trees in our garden, which is not so good when November comes around because then we have lots of leaves in our garden. But we have many trees in our garden. One of the problems with trees and plants is they have these things called sucker branches. That if you don't do anything with them, they start spouting from odd bits. And those sucker branches look really healthy. But in fact, what they're doing is taking the life out of the rest of the tree. And sometimes in our Christian lives, we can be really good at doing lots and lots and lots of things, called, and, and they're sucker branches. And they take the life out of our relationship with Jesus because he's not in them. His life isn't flowing in them. We're doing lots of things, but Jesus isn't in it. And it's a sucker branch. Because it stops you doing the really important thing, which is knowing him, hearing his voice and doing what he says. You know, Christianity is really simple. If we go about it in the right way, we get to know him in the secret place and through his word. We learn to hear his voice and then we do what we've heard. That's how it's supposed to work. But sometimes we try and short circuit that, don't we? And we go, well, I know what I should do. I know what, what I need to do. And we all end up trying to look like each other doing all those same things. Because we have this stereotype of what God would want of a believer. And here's what he wants. He wants to walk with you 24-7, 365 days a year and have a real relationship with you where he gives you his life, where, where you hear his voice, where you sit at his feet and just see his glory. The problem is we can do a lot for Jesus. But Jesus is calling us back to something different, which is to do a lot with Jesus. We've been very good at doing a lot for Jesus and exhausting ourselves because there's no anointing on it. More than ever before, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. 
I am absolutely not interested in managing an organization and marketing an organization to replace the fact that there's no anointing. Where does the anointing come from? Being in the presence of Jesus. So we have to get to know him. And, and Jesus needs to be the center of things, not the periphery. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is, if you do stuff without me, you'll see a lot of results. If you do stuff without me, you'll see results. And those results might look like fruit. They may smell like fruit. They may shine like fruit. They may even slice like fruit. But they counterfeit. Because the fruit hasn't come from him. If the fruit of our life is not full of Jesus and smells like Jesus and tastes like Jesus, it's not fruit that heaven recognizes. So what's the bottom line of what he's saying? This, this is the bottom line. Let everything you do and say come from a personal encounter and time with Jesus. Somebody came to me last week, and I won't name them because they're here. And uh, they said, I've been listening to like your sermons for like last six or seven months. So are you saying it's all about Jesus? And I thought, yes, somebody's got it. It is all about Jesus. You know, One of the things that I do before I, I preach and minister on a Sunday morning is I disappear. So before I come here, just so you, just so you know, before I come, I'm, I'm, I get up on a Sunday morning early and I worship. And I worship for an hour, an hour and a half before I even set off to come here and put chairs out and do all the rest of it. And then when I've done that, I disappear again. Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. Well, this is what Cheryl wants you to know. Because I'm Mark, I'm not too bothered. But I want you to know this. Cheryl wants you to know this. I have not disappeared because I don't want to talk to you. And I haven't disappeared because I don't care about you. I've disappeared because I care about Jesus. And so I've gone to be with Jesus. And so I go and hide. And I'm not telling you where I hide. Maggie found where I hide. So if you want to know where I hide, ask Maggie where I hide. Is, is the, what am I doing? I'm praying. What am I praying? This is my prayer. Jesus, we really need you this morning. 
We need you this morning because if you don't turn up, Jesus, this is a mess. This is empty of anointing. This is empty of you. If you don't turn up this morning, Jesus, it's going to be a mess. So I need you to come, Jesus. You promise that where two or three are with gather, you're there with them. I don't want to do this without you. Holy Spirit, we need you to move on our hearts. We need you to break down that, like, that crusty shell that we built up the last two years. We need you to crack through it. Holy Spirit, won't you set us on fire? What will it take to set us on fire? What will it take so that Jesus is number one and Jesus shines out of us? Holy Spirit, we need you. And that's what I'm praying. And then I come back down and talk to you so then you know you're loved. Well, probably not. Cheryl says that I... Um, Cheryl has these uh, long chats with people. I'm kind of like, there's three things I need you to know. One, two, three. Great. Lovely to see you this week. And that's just personality, isn't it? It's kind of, it's kind of man versus lady. Yeah. So anyway, no more because I get in trouble when I go on that ground. So if you want to produce fruit, you need Jesus. And if we, if we want to um, be on fire, we need Jesus. And if we want to see the right sort of fruit in our church, we need to be praying that he's going to turn up at our church and that, that, that he'll be here. Because if he isn't, well, I might as well just have stayed being an accountant. Because I learned how to do marketing there and I learned how to build a business. But I don't want to build a business. I want to build Jesus and, and people to know Jesus. But most importantly, I want to know Jesus for me. Because if I don't, it's pointless, isn't it? It's absolutely pointless. Last year, last week, I kind of touched right at the end on this story of Mary and Martha. Go, go with me to that story. Um, I'll tell you where it is in a moment. Put my bookmark in. It's uh, Luke chapter ten. Starting at verse 38. Now it happened as they went to and ent he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. Good move, Martha. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed. How do you know you're a Mary and not a Martha in this particular circumstance? How do you know you're a Mary and not a Martha as you go through life? Because there's a lesson in here. That's why it's in the Bible. So we can benefit from it. So what's the lesson? The lesson is, I don't want to be going to Jesus to tell him what he should be doing. I want Jesus to be telling me what I should be doing. Martha goes to him and tells Jesus what he should be doing. Like, Come on, Jesus, get on board with my idea, my vision, my plan. Come on, Jesus, and tell everybody else to get on board with my plan. Jesus says, no, that's not the way this works. So how do you know you're not that Martha in that instance. Now, Martha gets bad press because she turns into a bit of a star later on in the story. You know, Jesus' story. But right at this point, she's got a problem. How do you know you're not at that point? Well, Jesus says, the person who's at that point is worried and anxious about many things. So if we're worried and anxious about many things, we... We're in that place of a Martha. And we need to get out of that place to a Mary. What's the difference? Mary's not worried about anything. Why? Is it that Mary is immune from worry? She just doesn't care. Who thinks that's the right answer? Who thinks Mary is just a, a lazy, do-nothing, sit-around, do-nothing-all-day girl? Who thinks that? You're going like, yeah, she probably is, but that can't be the right answer, is it? Can't be the right answer. You're right, it can't be the right answer, even though you think it might be. What's Mary doing? Why isn't she worried? Because she sat at Jesus' feet, hearing what he is saying to her. And she knows that if it's him and she stays with him and sticks with him and abides with him and he remains the center of attention as she does what he told her to do, there's no need to worry. Because Jesus is more than enough for everything. Jesus is the provision. Jesus is the law. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the victor. So if we're doing it with Jesus, we don't have to worry. So if we do life with Jesus, it takes away the worry and anxiety. We have the worry and anxiety because we're doing our plan, our idea, and our efforts. Do you, do you get this? So we want Jesus. And when we get Jesus, we get rid of the worry and anxiety. And if we've got the worry and anxiety, it should be telling us it's not Jesus. So how do we get rid of that? We get to Jesus. We go to Jesus and we say, actually, what do you want me to do? What's your wisdom on this? What are you thinking about this? What, what, how should I respond? How, how, how are you going to heal this hurt, Jesus? 
How are you going to take this pain away? What do you want me to do? Here's the thing. If it's not Jesus, if it's not from Jesus, it's not success. Really, really important lesson for the church at this time. It might look like success in the world, measured by world standards, But if it's not Jesus, if it's not what Jesus asked you to do, it's not success. You can be incredibly successful at doing something that Jesus didn't tell you to do. And, and, and the thing is, you can let the whole world know about how successful you were at doing the thing that Jesus didn't tell you to do. And you can go through life thinking, wow, I've done amazing for Jesus. But he was never in it because he never asked you to do it. You did it. You did it. You just asked him to bless what you were doing. You asked him to bless your life. He blessed your career. Bless this, bless that, bless your church. And he didn't tell you to do any of it. He wanted you to do something different. He wanted you to sit at his feet and hear specifically what he had for you. And while you were there, he wanted to go snip, snip. I just want to cut that bit off. I'll just, just take that bit off there. And I'll take that bit off there. You really don't want that sucker branch. Stop doing that one. Yeah. You really don't want it. Stop it. One of the one of the really key things for this time right now is we're probably all asking, what's this mean for us? What's, what's it mean for our life? Like, we've been through this whole COVID thing, unbalanced us, knocked us, rocked us. And we think, you know, some of the things, that, like Cheryl and I say, we had two years of our life stolen. And you go like, how do, how do you get that back? Well, you don't. So you've had two years of your life stolen. So what, what now? There's all, and, and, and it goes on, there's all these things we wanted to see, all these things we wanted to do. If you think back to like two, year, two, two years from, I think it was actually this weekend, the last time we met, two years ago. And you think back, well, I'd just been to Bulgaria, planted the church in Bulgaria. It was booming and it's still doing fantastic. And we planted a church in Norwich and we were doing stuff in Royston, doing stuff in Lexburg, planted a church in Croydon. This place was full, and you go like, Jesus, what happened? What happened? 
What happened to the goals that I had? What happened to the vision that, that I thought you'd given me, Jesus? What happened? What, 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 what's this, this weight that we can't seem to kick off our lives that makes us like not too bothered? What, what's all this, Jesus? And then he brings his Mac and he says, it's not me, it's not success. Now, I'm not saying that wasn't him. I believe it was all that stuff that we've been doing. And, and I believe he still wants to do that stuff. That's not the point I'm making. Just to be clear. The point I'm making is this. Right now, we are vulnerable, hugely vulnerable, to the enemy stealing from us Jesus and what he wants for us. Hugely vulnerable. And you're going like, I don't see it, Mark. This is how we are vulnerable. We are all disappointed that we haven't seen what we thought we would and we've just thrown two years of our life getting through the stuff that we got through. Jesus went out into the desert and he'd been fasting 40 days and he had no food because he'd been fasting. I don't know why you do this. Why, Jesus, if you're going to fast, go somewhere nice. Not like in a desert where it's hot and you're going to like, it's going to make the lack of food and all the rest of it worse. But Jesus has been doing that. Now, what happened? What happened at the end of that fast? What happened at the end of that? The enemy turned up. And what did he offer Jesus? Forget the first one. Forget the... What's the third thing he offers Jesus? He offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, you can have all these. You can reign over all these. Here they are, the earth. What, was Je what is Jesus ultimately going to inherit? The earth. What's the enemy going to do? He's going to offer you the thing you have always wanted in your heart and he's going to offer you it on a plate if you'll take it without Jesus. You can fulfill every goal you have in your life. You work hard. You sweat till you're 60 and he'll give you it without Jesus. The enemy is going to give you everything you want if you will take it without Jesus. Because that's what he offered Jesus himself. That's the temptation of our generation. You can have it all now. Get on with your life. Don't you worry about Jesus. He'll be there. You just get to the top. You get your promotion, then you'll be able to give a bit more. Jesus will be there. 
And he's going to offer you that. He's going to offer you that. The enemy will give you anything you like if you will do it without Jesus. And you go, well, what about all my dreams, Jesus? What about all those things that, that I've wanted for my life? Well, here's the thing. Jesus gave you them, those dreams then he intends to fulfill them. You know, it's okay to dream big. God gives us big dreams. But when that dream sits on the throne of your heart, it becomes an idol. And the enemy comes in and he says, you can have the idol with less effort. And we find ourselves tied in our lives to things that do not satisfy. And Jesus is saying, come back home. Come back to the dwelling place, the abiding place where I am. Sit at my feet. Hear my voice. Let's dream together. Let's dream big together. And let's do it together. See, Jesus wants to be in every single detail of our lives. Why? Is he a megalomaniac? No. Again, that's the wrong answer, isn't it? Why does Jesus want to be in every single detail of your life? Why does he want you to take every step with him? It's because he wants to give you the greatest blessing of all. He wants to give you the greatest treasure of all. Jesus wants to give you himself. And there is nothing in the universe that compares to him. The greatest treasure. Is Jesus. Jesus is everything. Can we just stand? You know, when I say things like this, and when we talk about things like this, we need to be able to respond somehow. Otherwise, we just go and forget.
So I'm not, here's, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to look and pick at the saws as to what we might have in our life that's not Jesus. What we're going to do is come to him and say, I want to be with you. You see, Jesus, God is a positive God. He offers us better than we've got. So if you want to respond in that way, just saying, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to burn with your love and your fire more. And I'm willing to lay aside all this stuff that's been me. Then I want you to come forward. Okay? You need to step forward. Can you take the chairs out, Roger? You need to come forward. Now, we're not going to do anything to embarrass anybody because this is between you and Jesus. But it's so easy, isn't it, to not not respond. And it's so easy just to move on. So we're just going to pray. We're going to play a song. And if you come forward, I want you to, like coming forwards, like not staying at the back, just for the avoidance of doubt. If you... I just want you to come forward and I want you to say, Holy Spirit, show me what you're asking of me. Is that easy? And then we're going to just bless what the Holy Spirit's doing. But just listen to the words of the song. Make them your words if you want to. There's no video. It's just sound. I'm just going to pray for you. If you want to come forward, come forward now. Father, we want more of you. We want more of you, Jesus. When I say we want more of you, Jesus, it means I'm willing to lay down that which has been me. That which has been about my goals, my objectives, my success. I don't want to do this without you anymore, Jesus. I want to do it with you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you.